Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show and with uh, Simon Clancy and Matthew Sherry heading to short-term IR for this week alone at least. We've called up a couple of, well, barely backups, basically, you know, starter-level quality guests to join me on the show this week. So I'm Will Gavin, as always. And a season debut, absolutely disgusting it's taken this long. Ollie Hunter is with us. Ollie, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. My toys are back into the pram. So um, <laughs> deli- delighted to 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 uh, be on the pod and lovely to see you in such stunning quality as well, Willie. I'd like to say that we are not all in the same room if you're watching the YouTube version of the show, despite the fact that we are just men with white backgrounds. It looks like we've pretended to social distance, but we're actually all just sitting in a row. Uh, I mean, just, you are just over there. Yeah, so not meant to tell people. Uh, And joining us for the first time this year and in his brand new role as the editor of Gridiron magazine, Liam Blackburn's with us. Liam, how are we doing, sir? Yes, good, thank you. Two days in, so uh, all going well so far. Um, Yeah, delighted delighted to be on, especially with Ollie, the the star guest on this occasion. (laughs) Have you at this point managed to reverse any of Matthew's solo Patriots, uh, absolutely no discussion of any other team's pretending that old white coaches should deserve every head coaching job ethic that he's had up until this point. Well, I listened to last week's and he obviously gave the uh, big shout out to Bill Callahan, which was, um, which was based on a conversation we'd had a day previously. So maybe it's just going to be a sort of continuation of, of the same thing. And, and I have to say the, the next issue, the, the cover star is not a Patriots player, but if I was to say it wasn't a Patriots player, you could probably guess which of Sherry's other favorite players is going to be on the, the cover. Oh, is it Russell? It is Russell, yeah. Ah, nailed so, it. So his, what a surprise. His, his iron grip still, still <laughs> lasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will be one of our topics today as we discuss the good, the bad and the ugly from around the NFL this week. We'll also give you, as always, our likes, dislikes and unsung heroes. Uh, we will be talking about coming up a little later in the show, Dak Prescott's injury and the impact it's going to have on the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to talk about bad teams losing games late, but let's start off with the good. And it's harsh to suggest that somebody losing their job is a good thing. But I think for the long term of the Atlanta Falcons, Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, two lovely men from what everyone says and from every interaction we've ever had with them, but two men who weren't getting the job done in Atlanta are no longer in a job, Liam. Yeah, it just felt stale, didn't it? It felt like very much like it needed a reboot. Um, I thought it was going to happen last year when they started one and seven heading into the bye. As you say, Dan Quinn seems like a lovely man. And I think coming off the bye, you know, they ended the season strongly and that was a reflection of the players playing for him. But you look at the Quinn's record over the years and and particularly the defence where he's supposed to be a a guru, obviously had great success in in Seattle and he ranked as a top 10 defence only once in his entire time there. Um, this season in particular, the defence has been absolutely dreadful, blown coverages, missed assignments. And I, I also think you can't overstate the the impact psychologically of that 2017 Super Bowl loss. Um, you know, we've seen them blow massive leads twice this year against the, the Cowboys and the Bears. And it was interesting, ahead of the, the Super Bowl um, last season, I spoke to both Mike LaFleur and Mike McDaniel, who were obviously on the 49ers staff now. They were with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. And I said, you know, it was has there been any impact on on that 28-3 Super Bowl loss and kind of has it has it lasted and do you guys still think about it? And they both said, you know, every time we sort of get into a lead now, we're all that's always sort of at the back of our mind. And you have to think it's the same situation for Dan Quinn and, and the roster there. And it just feels like it was in desperate need of a reboot. Well, we were in Miami, Ollie, earlier this year, and I think it's also in Carl Shanahan's mind the way he approaches big games. We'll we'll talk some 49ers a little later in the show, but yeah, was there any, any? Is there any argument, Ollie, that they should have kept them around, considering they're not going to be making a long-term hire till the end of the season? Or it feels like maybe they're following the Panthers' mold from last year. Well, I felt, especially with um, what's going on at the Jets as well, and two very, very bad teams. Sorry, Liam, but two extraordinarily bad teams. That whoever got rid of their coach first were going to do better in the season, and therefore have. A, a higher or a lower draft pick. And I think the, the, the Atlanta Falcons actually getting rid of Dimitrov and, and Quinn means that they want to salvage something from this season because Adam Gase is so bad at the Jets that you could only see them having a worse record despite the Falcons getting rid of Quinn and Dimitrov. There was some bad, bad things that were going on there. Okay, they were humstrung by a lot of injuries. Julio Jones 
well, you could perhaps you could argue that Julio, if it's a different coaching system, may have got fitter or got healthier quicker so that he would be able to play. Um, maybe something hadn't quite worked out with that front office. For the Falcons, it feels like that now they're trying to, to get something back from this season, whereas the Jets are just lumbering their way with Gase to that number one first draft pick. Yeah, it'd be a shame to be out of those Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes for uh, Atlanta because Matt Ryan has a huge cap hit for next year, $40 million. So either way, they're going to have to either renegotiate his deal or move on from him. If they can get the Georgia boy into their building next year, then I think that would be a, you know, an absolute boon for Atlanta. And maybe if it's about the record this year, they should have been focusing on looking forward anyway. I think you can't have another season like we've had over the last few where you go one and seven or the season before they started poorly and then rallied late because the players play for Dan Quinn the players like Dan Quinn they've built a decent team there over the years but they can't just keep going through that same cycle again and again and not competing at the top level and I do think that you look at the rest of the NFC South and you say Drew Brees he looked absolutely shot on Monday night and I think he's done if not this year within the next two you've got a situation right now in um uh, a not dissimilar situation now in Tampa Bay where you've got a guy who's in as a two-year starter. Those are going to be potentially rebuilding franchises off the back of that. Right now, the Falcons is a pretty attractive job if you can get the right man under center. It's just going to be interesting to see whether that is Matt Ryan in the long term, whether they can renegotiate or whether Matt Ryan's playing his football somewhere else next season. Uh, let's move on and talk about Tuesday night football, which, by the way, did anyone else absolutely love having football on a Tuesday night? It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was so good. We've got football, was it four out of five days? Oh, four out of three out of five? Anyway, we've made, we've got we've made him do maths, Liam. This is a terrible <laughs> idea. I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope. But the football was great. Um, it, it, was, it was so refreshing to see two teams. All right, the, the Bills didn't quite show up, but the Titans who, what, they've had Zoom meetings. They've, they've been basically like us, trying to work through a game plan. Um, and they've turned up, and Ryan Tannehill just just balling it. Um, AJ Brown back off of injury. He's, he's catching everything that's being thrown his way. Derek Henry and the stiff arm. I, I, I don't even think you could call it a stiff arm. Um, it, it was the absolute he, dismissal of Josh Norman. It was. Yeah, wasn't it? I think it, it was Simon Clancy who said that uh, Josh Norman should retire now. After that particular, <laughs> after that particular uh, throwdown, it was just it was such such fun, wasn't it, Liam? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say it's sort of thrown off what day of the week it is for me, but you you don't appear to know how many days in the week uh, we have left. <laughs> Eight, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, hugely enjoyable. Um, just a, I think there was a lot of interest in how the Titans would react. It's obviously, been a, a crazy time there, as you say, with with the facility being closed in 16 days since their, since their last game, but they just came out and were absolutely dominant in, in every aspect. I mean, six trips to the red zone, six touchdowns, zero turnover, zero sacks allowed. It was, it was such a dominant performance and, and AJ Brown being back is, is massive for them as well. Um, they led the league in red zone efficiency last year. And it just seems like every time they get into that area, obviously going to help with a guy like, like Derek Henry there, but um, an awful lot of credit goes to, to Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator. I mean, as a Jets fan, I'm kind of looking at offensive coordinators and wondering who might be the head coach uh, next year. <laughs> and he's certainly someone who has massively got the best out of, out of Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, plays to Derek Henry's strengths, plays to the team strengths. And we, we sort of saw the, the innovation they had last year as well. I remember in the playoffs when, they had the, the touchdown pass that Derek Henry threw. There was the, the touchdown pass against the Chiefs that um, the offensive tackle caught Dennis Kelly. Um, and they, they found ways this year as well to get Johnny Smith involved as well. And that's, that's a massive upgrade. And I've just been really impressed with the Titans, yeah. And look, for the Bills' first loss of the season, 4-1, and one, they should still be happy with where they are. And we still saw some good stuff out of Brian Dayball. But I thought what really impressed me about the Titans' performance is they super efficient on offense, as you guys have said, but actually there have been times where we've been able to look at Mike Vrabel's defense and say that maybe that's holding them back, which we didn't really expect from this side prior to last season. When you think about going into the year with Derek Henry and his not particularly high usage and, you know, someone else under center, obviously, with Ryan Tannehill now coming through to impress, Marcus Mariota really wasn't doing so. 
But I thought they were excellent on defense yesterday, uh, both in the pass rush. Rashawn Evans had a great game. Harold Landry had a great game. See Malcolm Butler with the two interceptions, but the back end of their defense looks really good, even with Jonathan Joseph in there, who I think I could run a faster 40 time man at this point. Um, I just thought it was well schemed, really, really attractive performance all round. And even, well, I'm going to save my thoughts on their special teams for a little bit later in the show. But yeah, I really, really impressed with the Titans and considering that the Colts have looked like a juggernaut up until this weekend, suddenly that AFC South has at least two interesting teams in it. Um, but only two, let's be honest. Uh, the other thing to talk about from this weekend was the, I was going to call it a massive upset win. Cause we did have a few big upsets. The dolphins going on the road and getting a, a winner's nine point underdogs was a pretty big upset win, but Considering that the record for Andy Reid at the Kansas City Chiefs was 28-3 and against the AFC West, and considering that that 28-3 and record against the AFC West, all three losses came on short weeks on Thursday nights where they lost on the final possession of the game. So given enough time to scheme for the opposition, Andy Reid has beaten them every single time. And yet they came out and played a beautiful, beautiful game, the Raiders, this weekend. And... Well, I think in particular, as much as Gruden gets love on this show, we've not given much love to Mike Mayock at this point, Liam. And it's a roster that's really strong top to bottom. Yeah, massively. Obviously, two drafts in now. And as you say, it's it's really impressed. All the guys he seems to have brought in have contributed in some way. Cleveland Farrell was obviously his first pick um, with the first round in 2019. And he had, tw- I think it was 12 quarterback pressures, which is like six higher than his, his career best previously. We, so. we were calling him a bust three weeks ago <laughs> and suddenly he's shown up. So, you know, what do we know? This is it. Yeah, obviously Ruggs is back for this game, uh, which is massive for that offense. Just opens things up massively, especially, you know, for Carr down the field and then underneath for Waller, Renfro, people like that. Um, Max Crosby was a great pickup as a pass rusher in the mid-round last year. And it just seems like he's built that roster top to bottom really well. The offensive line is, is among the best in the business. So obviously he had Trent Bryan back on Sunday, which was a huge bonus. And I think as well, Derek Carr doesn't always get the credit he deserves. But in this game, I played Mahomes, to be honest. You know, they were, they were aggressive. They pushed the ball down the field. And that's not something we've always seen from Derek Carr. So, so he deserves credit for that as well. Ollie, uh, we both haven't been Mayock, but not Mayock believers. I think we've both been Mayock believers. We've both certainly not been Gruden believers. We've both certainly not been Derek Carr believers. Does Sunday at least bring you a little bit closer to the Church of Chucky? Do you know what? It really does. And actually, I think it was the back end of last season where uh, I changed my mind on Chucky. And I think he, he schemes a really good game. He's obviously got those players playing for him. And where you've got to really praise Mayock and, and, and the Chuckmeister general is in the building of that offensive line. It is maybe the best offensive line in football. I think you could probably look at the Packers as well, uh, even though the Packers lost someone like Bulaga in, in the offseason. But um, that offensive line, it completely nullified anything that the Chiefs had to do up front. Therefore, that affected the Chiefs linebackers. That affected then the Chiefs secondary. And Derek Carr, who who the Chiefs basically dared to throw deep on him, and he did, and it worked. And if you're getting Nelson Aguilar catching balls and not dropping them, and then, shock horror, Aguilar falls into the end zone and scores touchdowns, you know you're doing something right. And if you're the Chiefs, you've got to worry that the defence, it's not quite falling off a cliff in one week, but... Um, they were horribly exposed. Frank Clark didn't get anything really up front apart from one particular uh, sack slash pressure. Um, so I thought it was it was brilliantly done by the entire the entire team really. Um, and to con- to only concede what thirty two points to any Chiefs side, you've you've got to really be happy with that. And and it's blown that that AFC West wide open. Because the Chiefs, everyone thought they were going to run away with it. What was it? Mahomes was 12-1 and one against, the, against the AFC West teams before that. And it shows that they are human. What, first defeat in 15 games against all competition. So um, it's made that division really exciting. And I think anyone else in the AFC now can look at the blueprint of how to beat them in their own backyard, even with fans in there as well. And yeah, it's made it much more exciting 
I'll play the Matt Sherry role briefly and say that it's a similar way defensively, the way they lined up to how the Patriots lined up against them and looked so good on defense last year. And as part of that roster building that, that Mike Mayox put together, you look at guys like Jeff Heath, who uh, came in from Dallas, is very clearly a backup safety and had an absolute blinder on Sunday. And you talked about the line. From a pass-blocking perspective, it's it's not up there with the very best in the league. And Derek Carr occasionally feels some pressure, already 35 quarterback hurries on the season, sacked a couple of times. I know that's low compared with what some teams are suffering, looking at you, Philadelphia and San Francisco. But um, I, from a perspective of... having a big mauling line that's just going to open up holes for Josh Jacobs. Devontae Booker had a really good game in this game, someone who flashed in Denver but never really showed up. And all in all, I thought it was a really, really impressive top-to-bottom performance versus from the Chiefs' perspective, you know, in the second half, they were almost entirely shut down. We we had a late rally, which we expect from the Chiefs and one particularly good drive. But moving on from the good to the bad – What's going on with Patrick Mahomes, Liam, and what's going on with that offensive line right now? Yeah, there's been there's been three games this year. The the Chargers game, where obviously Mahomes came back at the end with the magic. The Patriots game, where had it not been for Brian Hoyer, they probably would have won that game. And then this game as well, where it seems like Mahomes is just scrambling around for his life back there, desperately trying to keep plays alive and make things happen. And that that's got a, um, a shelf life. You know, you're not going to be able to do that every game. Um, the Raiders did a really good job of of keeping things tight in the secondary and and just with with three four man rushes getting pressure on Mahomes as obviously we mentioned um Bell a little earlier but they the Chiefs really need to find a way to be a bit more methodical and and keep drives alive longer and get the ball moving down the field and, and stop relying on Mahomes magic because he's not going to be able to do it every week and, and as you said the blueprint is there from the Patriots last year the Chargers this year the Patriots this year and now the Raiders of, of how you can at least slow down Mahomes. Do you think there's a worry about the running game? Yeah, I think that is a problem for them. And I don't think it's necessarily Edwards Alaire fault. I think there was a real struggle with run pass balance in this game. And I was when I was looking up the the offensive line pressures, it's amazing how many how much more often because actually in pass protection the Chiefs uh, offensive line ranks reasonably high but they've thrown the ball kind of fifty times more than any other team that has a pass blocking line in the top ten on PFF literally than anyone else. They've thrown it 229 times. I think the closest is about 180, 189 over the first four or five games. So it just gives you an idea of where they are right now. And and the run pass balance, okay, the game's getting away from you slightly, but it was far too heavy, it felt like, in the uh, in the favour of the pass this week. But fortunately for them, next week they're going up against a Bills team who have just had their worst game of the season by a country mile, and they get the extra time to prepare for it because that game has been pushed back to that early slot on Monday Night Football. 10pm kickoff, by the way, UK time, for the Chiefs in Buffalo to face the Bills. Absolutely loving that. Uh, wonderful piece of uh, scheduling, even if the rest of it has been a hot, hot mess. But yeah, I think that balance needs to be reestablished. Just 80 rushing yards on 20 attempts, uh, throwing the ball 43 times. It's not conducive to a balanced offense by any stretch of the imagination. Sticking with the bad and sticking with the AFC West. uh, I mean, the way that Simon Clancy put this when we were discussing this was he put the blame kind of squarely on Justin Herbert's second half, having had a brilliant first half and made a couple of absolutely wow throws. Just four of 11 for 27 yards with four minutes left of the game. Ends up putting together one drive, but misses two passes in overtime when he had an opportunity to keep the game alive. Is this a rookie Liam showing up poor in a big moment, or is there something deeper here with the Chargers? Well, I think I think you're right. There's there's definitely something deeper. I mean, Justin Herbert wasn't there last year when they were when they were blowing one score games as well. Three and thirteen since the start of last year in, in one score games. Now back to back weeks they've blown seventeen point first uh, seventeen point first half leads. Um, they obviously lost Keenan Allen in this game. Ekelar was out. And I thought Herbert still did really well. Obviously, he didn't make a few plays when he needed to um, down the stretch, but you can't expect him as a, as a rookie to totally light it up for the entire game. I thought the the defence, for the most part, played really well. Gus Bradley, and we've already talked about his scheme against Patrick Mahomes earlier this year, but again, a really good scheme to kind of close down and shut down Alvin Kamara for most of the game. They then had that busted coverage on the, the big um, touchdown pass to Jared Cook. Uh, they weren't able to keep containment on... Taysom Hill for that red zone touchdown. And then, you know, they find a way to lose the game with the field goal coming off the upright. And 
it's just very chargery, isn't it? It was all very chargery. You know, you could see this coming a mile away. I think Ollie overall, I've been really impressed with her. But and uh, as uh, I saw brilliantly put on Twitter on uh, on Sunday night, I'm trying to desperately find out who it was that said it, but I'm not going to be able to find it in time. So uh, that basically he's going to be a brilliant quarterback for whoever the head coach is next season. Because again, not unlike we talked about with Dan Quinn, a very likable likable man, Anthony Lynn, but he's just not getting them the wins they need. No, and unfortunately. They have been, again, hamstrung by injuries. And there's the whole um, not playing Joey Bosa for every down because they want to save him because of, of Ingram not being there and Bosa almost carrying that defensive line. But when it comes to Herbert, he's got that deep ball. We can see that. That arm is, is there. I think he's number one out of QBs for balls for, or touchdowns completed over 50 yards. Which is which is what I think everyone expected from Herbert. He um, he feels the pressure at times. Well, he rolls out. He's good on his he's good on his feet and and throwing off of his feet on the run, making those completions. But he does make silly mistakes, as in throwing the ball back across his body into tight coverage when either run straight out of bounds or or throw it away. Um, so that will come obviously with experience, and I think it's clear to see that he will get better. It's not one of these QBs that comes in and you think, actually, this is about it. We're not, the, the ceiling has already, already been reached. So I think the Chargers fans have, have got to be really optimistic with, with how Justin Herbert is looking. But there is that worry on Anthony Lynn because... It's, it's aggression for me. That's my problem. It's that you look at the Panthers game, the Bucks game. I mean, they've lost every game that they've lost this yeah. season by one score. Chiefs in yeah. overtime, Bucks, Saints, Panthers, and the Chiefs, all one score games, two of those going to overtime. And in every game, I can see two or three plays where I think to myself, if you're more aggressive there, I think you win this football game. And if you don't run constantly on first and second down, you probably win this football game. If you give Herbert more opportunity to show what he can do, you probably win this football game. And I just think that maybe it's his mentality as a running back. Maybe it's like that he's just a very sensible man. But every now and again, Ollie, I just want to see something, something else. And you're right. You want to see something else. And we spoke about how, as a team can suffer from a Super Bowl hangover with, with, with the Falcons, maybe the Chargers are suffering from this one score hangover. They know <laughs> that they can't get it over the line. The Chargers are suffering from being chargery. And as, the, the, as soon as they can get rid of that, look, the Browns were brownsy for three seasons. What was it? Three wins in, a, in three seasons. And they've, they've gotten over that hump. And, and we thought perhaps maybe it will be Herbert that will, will will take them over the hump of of keep of keep losing these one game or one score games, and it's still happening. So something else has got to happen. I, I'm not saying sack Anthony Lynn. No way, no way am I doing that because I think he's actually a really good coach. But it it maybe take could take a particular play in a particular game for them to suddenly all start believing that they can do it. I'm saying sack yeah. Anthony Lynn. I'm just saying it. <laughs> You're an absolute disgrace, man. <laughs> just, just, just picking up on what you said there about his background as well. You know, he is a, he's a running backs coach. He, he's, he's versed in, in running the football. And while, while he's an offensive minded guy and not a defensive minded guy, these guys who come from running back um, coaching roles, they, they tend to be all about running the ball, uh, minimal risks and that kind of thing. You know, we saw it against the Chiefs where they didn't go for it on fourth down um, in overtime, gave the ball back to Mahomes, lost the game. And then you look at Gruden this week was determined not to give the ball back to Mahomes when they were up by eight points and, it, and they won the game. And it's decisions like that that head coaches need to be bold, need to be aggressive and, and need to make sure they, they, they make them because they pay off. That being said, it should always be situational. And that brings us on to our final bad from the good, the bad and the ugly this week, because it wasn't just the Chargers losing a one score game. It's a two score game technically with the Eagles, but a game that they could have won if it hadn't been for sloppy execution and maybe some poor play calling the Eagles going down to the Steelers, having shown that the Steelers defense is human. The Falcons losing a one score game. They very much could have won the Giants losing a one score game. And obviously we're going to talk more about that game when we get to the ugly of this week. And then the Vikings. And this is the thing for me. I am, generally a go with the analytics fourth down aggression 
absolutely, I'm all for it. And yet I watched that game on Sunday and before the play happened, I'm not just being a, you know, hindsight is 2020 merchant. I genuinely looked at that and went, actually, because it's Russell Wilson on the other side of the ball and because you've not got Dalvin Cook on the field, who's the player who had been gashing them left, right and centre, I think I'm taking the field goal to get the eight points and just making sure I've got at least one more play where I get to try and beat Russell Wilson on the other side of it. I know that if they got it, that's great. That that would have iced the game. But they just, everyone went, well, they've run the ball so well. Why wouldn't you do it? I, without Dalvin Cook in the game, the Vikings offense doesn't look great, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely situational, like you said there. You know, we, we talked about not giving the ball back to the Chiefs because they've got Mahomes there. You, you have to put points on the board and make sure you've got as big a lead as possible before Russell Wilson's doing that, that last drive down the field because you know that he's going to make plays because that's just the way he's, um, the way he's built. Um, I feel a little bit for the Vikings. You know, They absolutely dominated this game. Um, Seahawks didn't convert a third down all game. Dominated possession, put up loads of yards and yet found a way to lose the game. They lost to the Titans by one point and that's two really good teams they played that they should have beaten, really. Um, and like like you say, with that fourth down, you can just imagine Mike Zimmer was tearing his hair out because it would have been really hard for him to decide to go for it on fourth down. And I'll be amazed if they ever go for it again after it's failed. Now. He would be <laughs> right back into conservative mode. The most old school of old school coaches, Mike <laughs> Zimmer there. Right, let's get into the ugly of this week. And uh, it really was ugly, the scenes that we saw in the Cowboys-Giants game. Uh, Dak Prescott scrambling out to his left, making a play as he has a tendency to do, and uh, just having a defensive player roll up on him, his ankle turn underneath him. And, I mean, I know Ollie Hunter is a man who doesn't deal well with gruesome things, but a, a gruesome injury you saw immediately. I mean, I actually thought that his cleat had come off because of the angle that his foot was at. Um, and I thought everyone was really overreacting and he just had a calf injury or something. And then we got the close-up of it. Um, rushed to hospital, had surgery that night. You know, the hope is that for the Cowboys, I think even for Dak Prescott as well, that he'll be back there and taking the first snap of the 2021 season under center for them. But there were some conversations going on social media where people were calling others out for being callous to immediately talk about the contract situation. And obviously from Dak Prescott's perspective, as everyone knows his story by now, he is one of the good guys in the NFL who's had an incredibly difficult time. You know, the death of his mother around the draft, the death of his brother this past year and the uh, mental health issues that he had around lockdown as no small part of that is being open about that and being called out for being a weak person in the media by people like Skip Bayless for admitting to having issues with depression during lockdown. You know, he was uh, someone willing to have those conversations and I think a very likable character and a real leader of that team. But you do have to look and say that either the agent's done a bad job or somebody has fallen over here because the franchise tag has now put him in a situation where the Cowboys are either going to have to tag him for $37, $38 million next year or they're going to have to give a long-term deal to a guy whose ankle, we don't know what state it's going to be in off the back of this injury, or we're going to end up with him not on the Dallas Cowboys next year. I genuinely don't know which one is <laughs> going to happen. It's, it's so up in the air, isn't it? Um, if we take it step by step. So is he going to be able to get a, a, a long-term deal coming off of a, a pretty, pretty serious injury? Now, by all, intent, by all accounts and in all intents and purposes, it's an injury that, and especially the guy that they brought in to do the surgery, that people do come back from. But if you're a if you're the Dallas Cowboys back office, and if you're looking at as in pure business terms, perhaps you could get him for a bit cheaper than you thought you would be able to. There's always risks involved. I don't think he gets tagged. I think 37 million for a guy that's just had an injury like that is is too much. I don't think Jerry Jones is that loyal when it comes to when it comes to players. We saw that with Tony Romo being allowed to leave. We saw that with Des Bryant as well. Um, so there isn't necessarily that loyalty there that you think 
that he will snap up Dak just out of loyalty reasons. It's really funny that, isn't it, Liam? Because that used to be the opposite of what the story was yeah. on Jerry Jones. He used to overpay his ageing players. And it's almost like he took so much criticism for doing that. And I'm not saying Dak's ageing, obviously. But it's almost like he took so much criticism for doing that that he's now gone, no, I'm going to be very steadfast and make sure that I'm not seen as the person that overpays his own players. Yeah, I think that the, the problem for me here as well is the, the timing, you know, you're looking at it and they're going to have to make a decision next February, March time about the tag, at which point Dak's still going to be in the sort of early stages really of that recovery. And then you're in a situation where are you going to give a massive long-term contract to a guy who you've got no idea what he's going to look like when he gets back on the field. And from the Cowboys perspective, I know you said there, Ollie, you don't think the tag is a good idea. They might look at it and think, well, it's a one-year thing. You know, if Dak's getting back to the DAC that was fantastic. We can sign him long-term after that, but giving a long-term contract to a guy that's coming off a, a major injury is, is a, is a huge risk. And I think that, as you say, it's, it's horrible for Dak as well. I mean, people tend to forget, you know, he's a, he's a fourth round pick. He didn't even get any sort of first round money. Like some of these rookie quarterbacks get first four years of his career, he earned less than 3 million, which is an absolute scandal given the production that he's had. Um, and there was a real juxtaposition on Sunday with, with the Alex Smith situation, obviously him coming back from that long-term injury and then Dak going down. And, and the other thing that we, we haven't sort of touched on is Andy Dalton coming in. I know Andy Dalton has his critics, but he's surrounded by arguably the best wide receiver trio in the league. He is going to put up numbers in that offense. Even if they don't win games, he will put up numbers. And then it's a situation where Dallas say, well, you know, what? How, obviously Dak is much, much better than Andy Dalton, but is he much, much better that we need to be paying crazy money for multiple years? You know, there's so, there's so many things that go into this and, and the time is absolutely horrible. I think silver lining may end up being that even a player as capable as Andy Dalton, it's going to show up just how much Dak was doing this season because his decision-making is absolutely on point. He he, gets rid of the ball when he needs to. He scrambles when he needs to. He's not seeing ghosts despite the fact that with the tackle injuries they've had there, that the offensive line has been nowhere near the unit it has been over the past five years that has been so vaunted. So, you know, I think there may be a situation where actually they look and realise just how important Dak Prescott is to that team both as a leader but also just from pure on the field perspective Um, I'm going to hold off on the Alex Smith conversation because I have a feeling that if it's not any of our likes for this week that we're all disgraceful human beings Um, but I think the fact is is also they're in a division where they could win six games and win it this season with the way everyone else is playing that very much could be the way it goes now we want to talk about the handling of a couple of other quarterbacks as part of the ugly and that is in the same division to start off with Dwayne Haskins, not at the game on Sunday at all in any way, shape or form. Apparently a stomach bug kept him away, but he'd already been dropped as being the starter. My confusion with Washington, and I know there's the positivity of the Alex Smith story, which is absolutely deserves to be highlighted. My confusion is if you really didn't buy into Dwayne Haskins that much, you weren't going to give him enough rope this season to at least try and prove himself. Why didn't you take a quarterback at number two overall? Chase Young's a great talent and has proven himself already, but it's the most important position in football, in any sport, I think, in the world. And for me, go to Wally first on this, I would have taken a quarterback there if you were that convinced that he was the wrong man. And yeah, and if you're looking at the quarterbacks that came out this season, and for instance, Justin Herbert would have been there. He almost is the the perfect fit for Washington because it's exactly he's 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 a pretty guy that you can hang your hang your new franchise up upon because obviously with the change of name and, and rebranding. Um but there's two are there and, and and you would expect them to to have taken a quarterback if they're not wholly sold and especially with um the the doubts surrounding Alex Smith. I mean, it's a miracle that he's back, and I know it will come up. But um, So there's the doubt around the veteran. There's a backup who we know isn't very good. And the the rookie who it looks like they, they had doubts upon in any case. So it's weird. It's weird roster building. And maybe it's a, a disconnect between the GM and, and the head coach. And something hasn't quite happened. Or maybe they're just going to wait until next season. It's, um, again, up in the air from Washington. And it's indicative of the kind of franchise that they've been for the last five to ten years. It's massively, as you say there, the disconnect. You know, by by all accounts, Haskins was the darling of the scouts and the owner. He wasn't the choice of the coaches last year. They didn't want to play him there. 
now you come in with a new coaching staff. He's not their guy. They don't want to pick him. And as, as you say there, well, if you've got, if, if he's not the coach's guy, if he's not Ron Rivera's guy, they've got the second overall pick. Two is still there. Justin Herbert's still there. Why aren't they looking at those guys? We saw in Arizona, okay, you make a mistake in the draft, but you move on from it. If there's a guy there who you think can take you forward at the most important position. And, you know, it's not just that they've, they've sort of dropped Haskins. He wasn't even getting reps, wasn't even getting first team reps at all last week. And you just think, well, what situation are you going to be in where, I know they think they can still win the NFC East this year because it's so bad, but they, they have to have a read on Haskins at some point this year before going into next year to decide what they're going to do. Yeah, and you look at the the group next year, when you get past Trevor Lawrence, it's a lot of unproven guys. Justin Fields, you know, made the decision to go to a program where they already had a starting quarterback in Jake Fromm, and he dominated in his first year at Ohio State. But is he going to be someone who people are hyped about taking at two or three overall? And then what? You've got guys like Trey Lance. There's not not anyone that we're necessarily kind of screaming from the rooftops about in the same way that we are. It's certainly not a one A one B situation uh, this year when it comes to Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the class. Um, there was also pretty poor handling of a quarterback situation in San Francisco this week, where uh, whilst Ryan Fitzpatrick was absolutely Fitzmagic, and God, it pains me to watch a Fitzmagic game and not enjoy it. Uh, and some were calling for seeing a bit of tour at the end of the game to hand the ball off. We see Jimmy Garoppolo put up one of the worst quarterback performances of the season so far for a half, just looked completely uncomfortable throwing the ball through one of the worst interceptions of the year that second pick and ends up getting pulled at half time. And I, I don't think there's any genuine controversy there. I think they genuinely did think that let's get him in against a weaker opposition as they saw the Dolphins rather than putting him in against the Rams this week on Sunday night football. And then a ridiculously tough schedule to come up now for the 49ers. But if CJ Beathard had led some kind of comeback against the Dolphins, suddenly question marks are going to be asked. He came close against the Eagles. If he'd led a comeback against the Dolphins as well. I don't, I think the 49ers aren't going back to the playoffs now. I look at the upcoming run Rams, Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Rams, Bills are their next seven games. And they still have to play the Cowboys and the Seahawks after that as well. It's really what this season now is for the 49ers and whether they have to start assessing whether that position is one where they consider what they do next offseason, Liam. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at the interceptions he threw and it was a case of sailing over receivers' heads massively and by all accounts, that is what happens with with high ankle sprains. But as you say, the rest of that um, schedule for the season is absolutely brutal. What do they do with Jimmy G? You know, they, they gave him a big contract off a limited sample. We've seen good bits, we've seen bad bits, but we haven't seen enough for me to convince you that he is the answer long-term. Um, you know, you look at, perhaps someone in the draft next year, if, if they get a, a high pick to perhaps sit behind Garoppolo for a while, or do you look at getting someone like Matt Ryan, who's had incredible success with Kyle Shanahan? That for me seems a natural fit. I know Matt's spoken about it in the past about, about a trade, but certainly contract wise next year, it would certainly fit for them to get someone like Matt Ryan in. It's what you do with that Jimmy G contract. If that's what you do do though, Ollie. Yeah. 100%, yeah. I mean, they, they sort of crippled themselves with it. Um, so they've kind of got to ride this out. I, I just thought you can't put too much on him for Sunday because he clearly wasn't right um, on with that high ankle sprain. He shouldn't have been out there playing, um, and the throws were indicative of that. When you're giving an offense like the Dolphins short fields with those interceptions, and and you're basically handing them the opportunity to score points against you, and you've lost your your defensive leader, your your best defensive player earlier on in the season in Nick Bosa. So you've got a, a guy in on the offense who's meant to be your leader who is really struggling. On defense, you're massively lacking. You were telling me as well, Will, the, the amount of injuries over the last four weeks that the, the 49ers have had to deal with, it's just a perfect storm of of everything being utterly against you. And it's almost no surprise, really, that, that Jimmy... Who, who had missed out over the last three or four games, comes back in and, and doesn't do anything whatsoever. I think there's a worry that you could fall into some sort of malaise with this particular... Not you specifically. I know you're in one already. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, the funk is true. It's, it's here and I'm living it, boys. But I'm thinking, Honestly, I was angry for the whole day on Monday. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame you because it was, it was pitiful, a performance that I've seen... 
for a very for a very long time. And as you said, with that run, if you win two out of the next six games, I'll be surprised. And you could fall into a negative win loss record by come the end of the season. All right, Shanahan's not going anywhere, and you get healthy for next year. But it's almost a dud season already. Sadly, I'm afraid, buddy. We have to say, though, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard as a cornerback pairing, now they're both back and healthy, were excellent for the Dolphins. And you have to look at the Dolphins' season overall. I want to give them some praise here because I think that they deserve it. I went into the year saying that I thought the Dolphins and the Bills were the two who had a chance of overturning the Patriots. And everyone laughed at me, uh, including Simon Clancy. And then the Dolphins really did pap the bed against the Patriots in week one. And I looked a bit silly. But since then, the loss to the Bills was a game they were very much in. The loss to the Seahawks was a game they were very much in. They've dominated the 49ers. They've dominated the Jags. They now have a run coming up where they play the Jets the Cardinals, the Chargers, and the Broncos, and the Jets again, in, in, and then the Bengals. Literally, the Rams are the only team in the next seven weeks where they shouldn't be, if not favourites, at least kind of even money in that sort of range. I think the Dolphins have a chance of putting together a really nice season this year. I think they're really, really well coached. The 49ers, like you say, are just it's a decimation across the board. It's not just the issues at... At, um, it's not just the issues at quarterback, it's the issues at defensive back. Uh, it's still stunned they didn't take somebody there. It's Ben Garland struggling at centre. Western Richburg not going to be back for some time. And the centre of their line just gave up pressure after pressure after pressure. The best pass blocker on Sunday was George Kittle by a country mile, including every member of the offensive line. And whilst George Kittle is probably the best at every position he plays most weeks, you still want your offensive line to be blocking better than your tight ends. It's fair to say. So yes, the malaise is real. I have fallen into it and I'm sorry to bang on about it. Let's, wi- <laughs> let's wind the show up by doing our likes, dislikes and unsung heroes for this week. Who wants to take Alex Smith as their like, who hasn't, if you haven't picked it already and it wasn't on our running order, we're all awful human beings. If none of us have. I just anticipated you both would. So I went for something different. <laughs> yeah, I've not. <laughs> That's absolutely superb. All right, I'll take Alex Smith then. 693 days he was off the field for. 17 surgeries in a nine-month period. Four months in in one of those braces after a month in hospital. The man very nearly lost his life. The the sight of his wife and children applauding that four-yard dump off to a running back like he'd just won the Super Bowl was an absolute joy to see. It completely warmed the heart. It was rough as anything to then see Aaron Donald essentially leap on his back. And I don't know if there was anyone at home who wasn't wincing like their own child was in the game. And with the weather, he took an absolute battering in the end, but he stood up to it. If I had a tenth of that man's drive or steal, I think I would be a much, much better human being. He is just one of the best, and he's just nailed comeback player of the year, no matter what happens now. Ollie, what have you got as your like for the week? Well, hopefully Liam hasn't got this, but uh, I've gone for Chase Claypool, the wide receiver from the Pittsburgh Steelers, rookie wide receiver as well. Chase Claypool, who stood up when Juju, I'll go with Juju, um, Juju Smith Juice was was um, was double covered the entire game. Uh, Eric Ebron kept dropping balls. Uh, James Connor wasn't really effective in the backfield. Deontay Johnson was um, was was left the game through injury. So Claypool did absolutely everything. Over a hundred yards receiving, uh, three touchdowns. He got a rushing touchdown as well. And he put out the best meme of the week where he took the Tom Brady fourth down thing and uh, somebody photoshopped his face onto it and he did it and he put that out as well. It was a stunning, stunning bit of work. It was brilliant. He was he was there on special teams as well. He was absolutely everywhere. And for the first time in 40 years, and it's incredible to think this, but the Pittsburgh Steelers are 4-0 and um, and they look like that, that defence, uh, we talk about, the, and, and I know they they let the Eagles back into the game, and the def- but in the end, the defense did stand up, and that defense looks real. It looks a really good unit um, with uh, with TJ Watt up front as well. I know we're talking about um, one player, but I, I think we didn't really talk about the Steelers. Ra- I'm going to <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Liam? Yeah, mine's the Carolina Panthers. Um you know, I know, I know they beat a Falcons team that were winless, but impressive again. You know, they had an 0-2 start. They then lose Christian McCaffrey, their best player. 
and you're looking at it and thinking, okay, this is the youngest starting defense that we've had in the NFL in a decade. You've got two guys who were coaching in college last year. They haven't had the continuity. There's been a massive overturn with the entire roster. They haven't had the continuity that a lot of these NFL teams have had going into a disrupted offseason. So they're 0-2, they lose the best player, and then they come out and reel off three straight wins and, and really impressive wins as well, you know. And the, the, the great sign with Matt Rule is that he's getting, you know, huge, and, and Joe Brady is that they're getting huge play out of players that have been elsewhere and haven't been as productive. You know, Robbie Anderson, I know well as a Jets fan, was basically a one-trip pony. He would only run go rights. Um, he's, they signed him on a $20 million uh, two-year deal. He's now a massive part of their offense, is suddenly a number one. Looks great, right running on slant, short patterns. Um, and then Mike Davis as well, you know, they're, they're playing the Bears this week and you're looking at um, David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen and saying, well, actually, Mike Davis is playing better than both of those. You know, I know he was in San Francisco and Seattle previously. Didn't do a great deal, but he's running really hard, looks really good. Um, the the defence, as we, you know, I said, incredibly young, but and they lost players in this game as well. They lost Brian Burns, but they've got some some wonderful young players there. Jeremy Chin at cornerback looks really good, the rookie. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater as well, you know. I think there was a lot of people who were questioning what he was going to be like this year, but they're playing to his strengths. You know, they're not asking him to, to throw the ball massively down the field. They're getting it in the hands of, of Anderson, of Samuel, of Moore, and they're just asking him to, to make plays. And, you know, I'm just really impressed with the, the Carolina Panthers. Again, going back as, as a Jets fan, Matt Rule was someone we looked at ahead of hiring Adam Gaze, and my God, does that look like a bad decision now? Uh, just to say, what my one would have been if someone else had taken Alex Smith would have been the 4-1 and one Browns, because they're 4-1 and one for the first time since 1994. Well done, Kevin Stefanski, for putting something together. The last time they were 4-1, and one, Friends hadn't even debuted on TV yet. So that's the position that they're in right now. And, and the world was a better for place for it. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> 100%. Uh, what terribly disappointing... Uh, Sitcom have we got coming up next? Right, let's go to dislikes. I'll come over to you, Ollie, for this one. What have you disliked from this week? Well, I'm sorry if someone's going to go for it. And if they are, tell me and I'll quickly switch. But I'm going ri- Philip Rivers. I do oh, not like... Bloody. I do not like... I'm sorry. I know you love him. I know he's 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 loved around the, the league and he's got a family which can... Uh, can Put his own offence together with, yeah. His own offence or defence, whatever, yada, yada. But Philip Rivers... I dislike the way that he is holding back the Indianapolis Colts. I think Jacoby Brissett makes and plays that Philip Rivers makes. He also makes plays that Philip Rivers doesn't make. That makes him with his with his legs. He he can throw a ball farther than twenty yards. And I think Philip Rivers, the Philip Rivers experiment should be ended now. Re- free Jacoby. Liam, what have we got on the dislikes list? I've, I've literally upset you, Will. I can no, see no, it. I, no, 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 no. What's upset me is that I absolutely agree with everything you've just said. Oh, right. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> Liam. As I'm filling the Matt Sherry role today, I'm going to talk about my own team, uh, the Jets. Well, yeah, you man. <laughs> he would and never the put hand- the Patriots in the dislike list, to be very clear. That's on very this. true. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, just the whole handling of the, of the Levy on Bell situation, you know, huge pickup ahead of the 29 season by the previous GM. You then fire the previous GM. We then find out the new GM would never have made the signing and Adam Gaze doesn't even want him in the first place. They don't find ways to use him effectively last year. He comes back this year and we t- uh, Gaze talks about trying to get him involved in the passing game. He had one target on Sunday in the entire game. You know, he's a guy who needs an offensive line to, to open up holes for him and it's just just not happened for him with the Jets. And, you know, they've, they've ended up paying him $28 million across I mean, 17 or 18 games he's had about 800 yards rushing and three touchdowns that is a shambolic contract of a shambolic organization i'm telling you now he's going to miami and they're gonna have a 10 win season book it boys uh right let's uh go to well my dislike and i'm literally going to repeat my dislike from last week it's the league's handling of coronavirus it's an absolute farce they changed eight fixtures this week to accommodate one postponed game instead of adding an extra week on. We've now had Roger Goodell admit that they need some flexibility. Just put a week 18 and week 19 in now, have clarity of where we are and stop messing around seasons for teams like the Dolphins, who have had about four different games changed, for the Broncos, for the Chargers, for these teams that have just been absolutely railroaded by the terrible, terrible decisions you've made. However, I am excited for Chiefs at Bills at 10 p.m. on my birthday. I get off air from my show at nine. I'm going to be drunk by the time that they're on air. Uh, (laughs) Unsung heroes of the week. I'll go first on this. Special teams. 
The special teams in Bills Titans last night were absolutely brilliant. And on both sides of the ball, the Bills punter had a field reversing punt, which was one of the best I've seen all season. Uh, and you know what? They've taken a bit of a battering this year, kickers, etc. I thought over this weekend, there were some brilliant special teams play across the league. And so I'm just giving them some blanket love. Uh, if you do want an individual one, uh, Sheldrick Redwine, the second year safety of the Cleveland Browns, 17 snaps in coverage, made the inception, didn't get beat on a single pass play. That depth in Cleveland is for real. Uh, Liam, I'll come to you on your unsung hero. Yeah, it's kind of a, a carry-on from, from what Ollie was talking about with Chase Claypool there, really. Just the, the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver coach and the scouts that's able to find these people continually. They haven't spent a first-round draft pick on a wide receiver in 10 years, and this is the list of players that they've had. Antonio Bryan, Emmanuel Sanders, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, Martavius Bryant... Deontay Johnson, James Washington. And it just seems like if the Steelers are going to pick a guy up in the, the seconds and mid-rounds, then he's going to be a star because they just find ways to, to make them brilliant. Manny Sanders looked brilliant for the Saints on uh, Monday night, by the way. God, how the 49ers could deal with him still being in the building. The funk is real. Ollie, your unsung hero of the week. Well, I'm glad I've gone last because no one's taken mine. Um, it's Romeo Cronell. Uh, the the interim head coach for the Houston Texans. The Texans who looked like an absolute dumpster fire in their first four games of the season. They get a win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it was a a really good all-round performance from, well, from from everyone, really. And I think the team has bought into the old man of the the league. He's 72, the oldest head coach um, in the NFL. He's finally managed to get some production out of David Johnson, um, which something which uh, Bill O'Brien couldn't do. So it's Cronell for for writing a sinking ship in the Houston Texans. And the Texans at one and four in a, not a very good division aren't out of it. And uh, I think getting How rid of... How dare you say that about the division that holds the mighty Titans in it? How dare you? Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. But it, when when the playoffs have been expanded, you can, you can imagine that the Texans will be there or thereabouts yet again. And that will be because of Cronell and because they've got rid of... Um, the dumpster fire that is Bill O'Brien. I honestly think there are winless teams this year who might still scrape their way into the playoffs. It's <laughs> uh, stupid seven-team nonsense. Right, well done, boys. Excellent stuff. Uh, Liam Blackburn, new editor of Gridiron Magazine, the returning hero, Ollie Hunter, joining myself, Will Gavin. Don't forget to keep checking out all the fine work the guys are doing on social media. It's at Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron on Instagram. And uh, check out our YouTube channel as well. Like, subscribe, all that stuff that YouTubers say. Uh, we do our weekly waiver wire reports just about managed that and with most waiver wires being pushed to thursday this week because of the tuesday night game there's still a chance to go there and get some inside tips on who you should be picking up otherwise we'll be back next week for another week of good the bad and the ugly from around the nfl you're listening to the gridiron show